Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby is a masterpiece, pure and simple, deep and true. It's from Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. That's our old movie this week because it is the Academy Awards special edition here at Cinephile. And that's why I want to talk about Million Dollar Baby, which did a phenomenal job of the Academy Awards back in 2004, winning Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actor. Of course, the actors being Hilary Swank and Morgan Freeman. Our new film this week is The Quiet Girl, which did not win at last night's Academy Awards, but it's a terrific film from Ireland. It's the final of the nominees I've seen for Best International Feature Film. I'm also going to do real quickly a few of the shorts as well, uh, because those are readily available now on streaming services. But enough blabbing out of me. We're going to get to the man of the hour, Ben Lyons, who has covered the Academy Awards. He's done it with me. He's been a voice of entertainment in this country. Here's me and Ben breaking down the Oscars right now. As promised, our buddy Ben Lyons is back. His annual appearance here on the Academy Awards. The first thing that Ben noticed, of course, and for those who are unaware, he does a great job. He's he's basically running Amazon Sports Content. Does a morning show called Bonjour. And Bonjour, we say to Ben right now, Ben, I'm wearing a tuxedo because this is the tuxedo you told me to get when you got me to the Oscars. We did it twice together. And most famously, after we did the Oscars together, you said, you want to go In-N-Out Burger? And we went to In-N-Out Burger in our tuxedos. It felt like a scene out of Pulp Fiction. Well, I'm proud of you for only having In-N-Out Burger on Oscar night so you can still fit in to that tuxedo, which is now about seven years old, I think. Eight years old on the tux. So and now, I don't know if it's the Pilates, the hot yoga, whatever that treatment was that Jimmy Kimmel mentioned that all the celebrities are doing now in LA to say thin. You look good, buddy. I appreciate it, man. You too. I did have to kind of give a suck in on the waist a little bit, but yes, we did get the tuxedo on. You worked, for those who don't know, Ben worked for E! News a long time. He worked the entertainment circuit. He works the Oscars. He's been to the Cannes Film Festival, et cetera. We're going to do the Oscars in detail, but I want to do a little bit of red carpet first because the moment everyone's talked about that went viral, whatever the hell that means in this day and age, Ashley Graham and Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, you are a veteran of the Oscars, and you've been here a few times. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about coming to the Oscars? Uh, it's fascinating. It's uh, it's uh, uh, the whole of humanity is here. It's uh, <laughs> it's Vanity Fair. Oh, it's all about Vanity yeah. Fair. Yes, that's where we let loose and have a little bit of fun. Um, what are you most excited to see tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone? Um, no, no one in particular. Okay, well, what are you wearing tonight, then? Uh, just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember. My tailor. That's okay. Yeah. Ta shout out to the tailor. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? It was such an amazing film. I really loved it. I love a thriller. How fun is it to shoot something like that? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. Yeah, but still, you showed up and you had fun, right? Uh, almost. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you. Yeah. All right, back to you guys. I was on the Dan Lebitard show earlier, and Dan said to me, I've always felt Hugh Grant was an asshole, and I think that was proven, but I also don't think Ashley Graham's questions were particularly good, and I said both can be true. What did you think? I don't think Hugh Grant's necessarily an asshole. I thought he was rather on brand in his answers to those questions and his his reaction to her abrupt goodbye. Look, you've been on that exact stage where she was asking questions. It's incredibly awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's loud. Everybody's wearing prom clothes across the street from a Hooters on Hollywood Boulevard at three in the afternoon. Like there's nothing natural about it. Everyone's senses are on overload. And think about this. 
It's just a congregation of people. We're oftentimes placed in social situations where we're forced to congregate around other human beings at an airport here in New York City, riding the subway, but never in a place where everyone's hopes and dreams are just around the corner. <laughs> like, so you have everybody who's got their own issues now projecting them into a congregation of other people with their own social insecurities. So what's left is all of these awkward social exchanges. And that's why Adnan and I always thought you'd be so good at that because you can talk to anyone like they're a real person. She's asking him, what are you excited to see? As if he's like a child being let out into the wild for the first time. It's ridiculous. I mean, and it's a like, softball, oh. though. That's a softball. Now, he, everybody gets point, asked that. You got to do a little bit of your homework and go, hey, your fellow nominee is nominated for this. How excited are you for that? Like if Ben, Ben's smart enough to know, oh, you're here presenting an award and you're probably promoting some project, but you have this relation to this. If you're just saying, what are you excited to see? It's too broad. Oh, you liked being in that Glass Onion movie? What was that like? He's like, oh, I was there three days because I had to but, make some money to pay off some something or other. Like, but that's the reason he's there. there. But if, if if it's not for Glass Onion, he's probably not even at the Oscars. That's why he's there. I, I'm with. I think that's a a jerk move by him there. Like, yeah, you're in it for three minutes, but that's why you're here. I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of Team but Ashley. Listen, ben, don't you think I said I go? She lost him when he made a Vanity Fair reference, which is a reference to the Thackeray. She novel, didn't get it, and she thought Van. Vanity Fair movie. And he goes, you know what? You didn't get the joke. Now I'm going in a different direction. That's a thousand my percent. He said Vanity Fair, and she's like, "What? The hot party? Yep." Oscar Knight. He's like, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> what are we doing here? I'll, honey, get the valet key. Like, let's go." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to bring up memories. Hey, best interview, worst interview, because you're a great interviewer, and everyone loves talking to you. And I would always drop your name, and they would get excited. I would see Damien Chazelle and go, "Hey, I'm here with Ben Lyons." He goes, "Oh, I love Ben. Ben's great." Or Emma Stone, and you were friends. But I, I did think this at one point. I go. Imagine if Ben had to interview like Tommy Lee Jones on the red carpet. I don't know if you ever have, but to me, I've heard he's a notoriously tough interview. That would be tough on a red carpet. That's a tough one. Tommy Lee Jones, uh, not necessarily the most chatty in those situations. <laughs> I do remember one time, this is really messed up, and I don't even know if I should share this story, but I'm amongst friends the day after the Oscars. Why not? Uh, live. Didn't know what was happening. Somebody came up to me. They said, you're about to interview the Mexican Tom Cruise. And some Mexican guy came up to me. I still, to this day, don't know who I talk to. <laughs> hey, I'm excited for the night. What's your favorite film of the year? What are you working on next? And kept him moving. I was like, I, I, I don't know. Tomas Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Penelope Cruz's younger brother. That's who it was. But what I'm always amazed of, Adnan, is how nervous some of the biggest stars in the world are there. Like, I remember being backstage one year and Matt Damon got off stage. He was like, oh, my God, that was intense. I'm like, really, Will Hunting? Like, you're a huge star. You're Jason Bourne. You can go through the streets <laughs> of Berlin on a moped, but you're afraid to read a teleprompter on television? Like, it's really weird that you and I are comfortable there and these big stars are nervous. Well, let's get into Matt Damon and Jimmy Kimmel because uh, Cody knows one of the great moments of my life and my wife Eamon's night is when Ben after the Oscars goes, hey, do you want to go to Jimmy Kimmel's after party? I said, sure. And this is how great Ben is, Cody. Matt Damon walked in and Ben taps him on the shoulders behind him and goes, man, they let everybody into this party. He's <laughs> busting Matt Damon's balls. Oh. And Damon goes, hey, Ben, what's up? Because I'm a big hug. That's Ben Lyons. But let's get to wow. Jimmy Kimmel. No, but you and I you and I are good at those things because you're excited to see Michael Keaton and talk Pittsburgh Pirates. I was excited to see Gucci <laughs> Mane and told him that I read his autobiography. <laughs> Both of those are absolutely Can't get true. lost in the sauce, Adnan. Can't get lost in the sauce. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I thought Kimmel was great. And again, you and I are hosts, but this is why you need a host as a connective tissue. You come out, you welcome the audience, you address the elephant in the room, the slap, you make jokes about it, you go 10 minutes. I thought it was timely, I thought it was topical. As always, Kimmel's very comfortable in his skin. If a joke doesn't land, he doesn't care, he keeps going on. I like the uncomfortable jokes. I like the, are we going to vote for Robert Blake in memoriam? That's not going to land with everybody, but I'm like, he's going to go in that direction. I, I thought he did a terrific job. It was good to see Jimmy Kimmel back. Did something really smart out of the gate, Cody. He got everyone excited. He didn't come out there and take pot shots at people. Everyone's nervous. Yeah. He's going to call them out. He made them all feel like winners in those first two minutes. Got everybody cheering, buying into the evening. He's got to be the most dialed in in the room. And he owned the fact that it was going to take three hours and 45 minutes. And you think about the star power that they were able to attract to the Academy Awards, which is pretty impressive because just down the street, the New York Knicks were beating the Los Angeles Lakers 112-108. Denzel Washington, of course, there's Spike Lee. So all the big stars, RJ Barrett, no Jalen Brunson uh, in street clothes, unfortunately. So a lot of big stars downtown LA. The fact they even got some there at the Kodak Theater, very impressive. Yeah, he was getting off jokes at Spielberg out of the gate saying, you know, such a lack of creativity he has to make movies about himself now. Seth Rogen getting high with Spielberg. So I mean, I, I thought uh, that went really well. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's been a long time we've seen this band. In the preferential ballot, everyone wins a little bit. You get two Oscars, you get three. Spotlight will win Best Picture, but nothing for acting, but they'll get screenplay. Rare to see this old-school way of seven Academy Awards and the big-time ones. Like If you go above the line, as they say in the business, you know, picture, director, four acting categories, and I'll throw in screenplay. To get six of seven, I know this wasn't Silence of the Lambs, which was actor, actress, director, picture, screenplay, but that's still six of seven for a movie, which is wild the audacious, strange, and weird, and, and you and I are fans of it. Those that love it say, hey, it was audacious and different. Those that hated it go, it was too weird, it was too long. But that's pretty rare to see. That was like an old-school juggernaut last night. Deep dive X's and O's analysis here <laughs> on the Academy Awards. Where else but cinephile? And you're absolutely right, Adnan. It's almost as if some of the old-school mentality around honoring a film showed its head in this new-school academy that we have of all these different voices, a larger voting base, uh, you know, a, a, an audience that is looking for something memorable and not status quo. That movie checks a lot of boxes and it checks my box for best picture, which is, am I seeing something on film that I've never seen before? And am I now looking at the world I live in through a different lens? And I think that film checks both of those criteria and that changed the way of filmmaking, an ambitious film, only the second film the guy editing it ever worked on, which is wild. So you have all these kind of interesting people who find themselves in this wild movie that's uh, about imagination and taking chances and of course the superhero in all our lives and our mother and i just thought it was so beautiful and deserving of the award because it took big risks it wasn't just a cookie cutter oh this is going to win all the oscars because it's a period piece and it's got this actor in it no it defied convention in its casting in its creativity and in its screenplay and the, the special effects like it's just a wonderful film and i'm proud of the academy for giving it as much love as it did. We grew up in those 90s movies in Miramax since Disgrace because the wine scenes, but we love those films. You know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Sling Blade, Fargo. 
that's where, to me, this is a real moment for A24. Like, they're like, we're going to make independent movies and take chances. This movie came out late March, early April. At that time, Ben, I was resistant because I go, sci-fi, mother-daughter movie. It's probably not for me. But then everybody keeps seeing it. It's still in the top ten. It's still in the top ten. Let me go see it. Oh, this is incredible. But it's not going to win. It might get a couple nominations. Maybe Yo wins, but that's it. And then it kept picking up momentum. These movies, it never happens like this. What an enormous moment for A24. $75 million that that movie made, and they won seven Oscars? That's great for independent cinema. It's amazing for independent cinema. I love how many shout outs A24 gets throughout the course of the night. And if you're just coming down from another planet and you're watching this for the first time, knowing nothing of Hollywood, you're like, those A24 people seem really popular. They seem to get a lot of the shout outs. And you're like, yeah, because they're a studio that's taking chances on this type of material. Look at last year with Coda. That film came out at the Sundance before the Oscars. It was like a 14-month run to Best Picture. This last film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, premiered at South By last March down in Texas. So another year-long campaign. And that's what it takes for a film that doesn't have the bankable box office stars or notable name recognition behind it. Uh, you got filmmakers who people aren't necessarily familiar with. You got to have a long lead. You got to have a presence at the festivals. You got to take a time and a slow build. They timed it perfectly as the toast of the night. Meaning, like you said, six out of the seven awards is big time. Supporting actress I whiffed on. I thought it would be Angela Bassett, but I wasn't totally shocked. Once Jamie Lee Curtis won the SAG, I go, okay, this is what this is going to be. Neither of them give the best performances of their careers, but this is going to be the Lifetime Achievement Award. So do you think Angela Bassett should win and should have won 30 years ago for What's Love Got to Do With It? Or is this Jamie Lee Curtis's moment, Fish Called One, A Trading Places? And she's in the movie. That's the best movie of the year. And Or is it Kerry Condon who's going to win? She won the BAFTA. Maybe she should win for Banshees. I didn't have an issue with her winning. I don't think it's Jamie Lee Curtis's best Oscar. But you and I have seen that plenty of times. It's a Lifetime Achievement Award. And it was a great speech, really touching. Of course, her parents, Hollywood royalty, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. That was really cool, Adnan. As somebody, you know, who grew up in the industry because of my dad and, I, and my grandfather, like, I'm always rooting for people who are able to create their own career and write their own path. And, like, it's not just her parents are in the business like heavy hitters in the business too and she goes on to have an incredible career i love she shouted out the genre films that she's so known for of course those halloween movies that oftentimes probably throughout her career maybe took away a little bit from her credibility as a serious actress or maybe she lost some key roles that would have seen her win an oscar earlier in her career because of oh she's part of those slasher movies can't take her seriously no. And the fact that she's part of the most memorable film of the year is perfectly deserving. Yes, Angela Bassett, a wonderful career and probably should have been honored for something else besides Black Panther 2. She was fine in the movie. She thought she was very good. But again, you know, this movie, everything, everywhere, all at once, the, the marquee has a bunch of consonants on it. It's definitely not a good title in terms of marketing, but marketing a film with Oscar wins, that's the best medicine. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis's speech was spot on. But again, have a soft spot in my heart for, for those who grew up with famous parents and are able to create their own path and add to the world of cinema and she did that chris you can speak to this you talked before people talk about nepotism they yeah. mock you you're only there because you're your dad you and ben know what this is like yeah it's something i deal with all the time it's always my uh if whenever i do anything there's one comment about nepotism you know when i'm watching you out at, at lake tahoe covering the golf or you're at nba all-star weekend with amino hassan i'm thinking boy jamie lee curtis would be really proud of Cody. yes Greg Cody. Greg Cody didn't do any of that for me. That's me doing that. Michelle Yeoh wins. And of course, shout out to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I'm just glad that that was recognized by two 
probably favorite feel-good moments. Ki Hui Kwan, which we knew was coming. This guy hadn't acted for 30 years. When he saw Harrison Ford backstage at the Oscars lunch, he goes, I don't know if he'll remember me. And then he called him by his character's name in Temple of Doom. They hugged. The picture broke the internet. And, of course, Harrison Ford awarded Best Picture. So he and Ki Hui Kwan got to have that big hug together. You knew his speech was going to be great. He knocked it out of the park. And most happily for me, there's always one award you and me say, hey, if there's one award, I'll be happy with this. For me, it was Brendan Fraser for The Whale. I thought it was a great film. It got mixed reviews. It was nominated. It did win for makeup as well. Hong Chao was up for uh, supporting actress. You and I know Aronofsky takes chances. I didn't like Mother. I thought that was a miss, but I love the wrestler. I love Wrecking for a Dream, and I love what he did with The Whale, and I love Brendan Fraser's story. That's a great comeback story. Hardworking guy, genuine, sweet, and it was nice to see him recognized. Would have been nice if both those guys, who are far classier than the three of us, have gotten up on that stage and said, you know what? It feels great to win this Oscar because all you fuckers passed over me the last 30 years. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yes. You're okay. I should have gotten that role, but I forgive you. And fuck you. Like, that would have been amazing. That's literally what they're thinking. And honestly, I'm so happy for Brendan Fraser that he doesn't have to go through this anymore for this movie. He has looked so stressed out and so just like emotional throughout all of these award shows, having to go up and have a new speech each time. Like, I'm happy he's done with that right now. He can get some time on a beach and just relax and contemplate if he's going to go back to the center of the earth, go on another journey or whatever he does. <laughs> I think, um, I, look, I, I, I think when you, when you are honoring these performances, it would be completely uh, disingenuous to factor in all of the previous work and where they're at in their career and their life. Like, I know you're supposed to be unbiased and just look at the work on the screen, but how how can you not root for these men and women who have been overlooked, who have had to reinvent themselves? The fact that Jimmy Kimmel shouted out one of my favorite movies ever, a seminal Encino Man. Encino Man. It's just a brilliant piece. It would be wonderful on stage. I think they can adapt it to Broadway. Donde esta Salvano? I know how to say that because of Encino <laughs> Man. I love that uh, that Paulie Shore sitting at home somewhere being like, oh, I could have come back to. Uh, that's a great movie. So shout out to Encino Man and Brendan Fraser for getting it done. The category of guys that I was rooting for, and this, I guess, is some recency bias. I had the privilege at a super hipster theater in Brooklyn where they were selling like, you know, gluten-free everything and kimchi this and all this stuff. You know, it had kombucha, the whole thing. I went on Saturday and went to a block of programming for the uh, animated shorts category. So I watched all those. On you the- want to see my year of dicks win? My year of dicks is really funny. My year of dicks is tremendous. I was an ice merchants guy. That movie moved tears with no dialogue. I thought it was wonderful. But the boy, the the hound, the fox, the horse, J.J. Abrams, whatever you want. It's a magical film that will make you believe in life and love again. So I was very moved this year by animated shorts. Very happy to see that category last night. You're right. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the whale, what the hell it is. Uh, fox and the horse. It's available, readily available. I believe it's on Hulu. Because people were asking me, in the past with shorts, you and I would have to get links from people. 12 of the 15 shorts are available on YouTube, Hulu, or Netflix, or Disney+. Plus. So you can actually watch a lot of these shorts. And I'm with you on Ice Merchants. Wasn't crazy with the Flying Sailor, 8 Minutes. Guys naked flying through the air. I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't understand that nomination. But um, that movie is so sweet. The one scene where he's like, you know, the greatest thing you can ask for is help. What does it mean in life? Acceptance. I'm with you, man. I watched it with my kids and I thought it was a really, it's a sweet film. Ben's right. Who's the next, and this is for both of you, who you think, who's the next Brendan Fraser or Jamie Lee Curtis? An actor or actress that's, you know, not, you're not thinking will be nominated, but with the right role, we could see something like this. 
I'm going to give you some of these younger cats who I kind of came up with because I was covering the Hunger Games and Twilight and these types of movies. Like, imagine you're a guy like Taylor Lautner. You're the guy, right? It's Jacob or Edward for Bella's love. You're in this John Singleton action movie, you know? And then all of a sudden, like, it just stops. It doesn't happen. I know Taylor's gotten married, his personal life settling down, still probably bathing in Twilight residuals. However, <laughs> went on a run, and now we don't see it anywhere. It was so Grown Ups, I think, was the last one, right? It was the you know bad I mean? guy. What does that do to the mentality of, like, okay, I was a leading man. I had a thing going. Okay, got to reinvent it a little bit. You think of Josh Hutchison, right, who played PETA in those Hunger Games movies. He was in all these cool movies, like um, oh, the one with Julianne Moore, of course, that was nominated, and Annette Benning that was at the Oscars a few years ago. And then now, all of a sudden, it's like, where's where's Josh Hutchison? So trying to reinvent yourself when, you, when you're going down one path. Brendan Fraser was a huge star in the late 90s, early 2000s, like big studio films. And then slowly but surely, like the phone doesn't ring and you're left looking for a job. And so now it's to reinvent himself as an Oscar winner is very cool. I'll go with Jason Patrick. Always loved his work. I watched Narc again recently. I watched Sleepers again recently. That guy was great in the 90s. Had a big hit. Obviously, Speed 2 was in the Alamo. Rush was a great film, but a drug addict. I, I, Jason Patrick's always been an actor. I'm like, dude, that guy's a great actor. He's 56. He'll get a comeback role one day. He's going to be fine. Um, the Daniels, Ben. I knew they'd win for editing, and sometimes people will mock and go, it's not the best editing. It's the most editing. But there's like a billion cuts in that movie. And as you said, the guy, the second we ever edited... I, I would have preferred McDonough for screenplay because I want Banshees to get something, but I have no issue with them winning for screenplay. I was thrilled they won for director and, of course, They got the donkey picture. out on the stage. They brought the donkey <laughs> on the stage. Exactly. Our friend Claire Atkins took a little shot at one of the Daniels with the fact that, in the, I think in his second speech, might have been for director, he said something, or maybe it was in the best picture, he said, you just need someone to unlock your genius now that my genius has been unlocked. I'm like, he's referring to himself as a genius right now. Like, this is a little too feeling myself. No, I'll up on Kanye. Look, we're all part of a generation that grew up, uh, you know, college <laughs> dropout album was a big thing for us so yeah. get it. it's his influence you know but I, I generally speaking when I God if ever you and I win an award the first thing to me is you always got to thank the nominees like you win you go hey fellas I just want to thank Ryan Seacrest and Mike Tarico and you guys do an awesome job and I'm just I, I'm really great to be in the show if I ever win an award and I have to get up in front of a group of people I can promise you I'm never going to say I want to thank Ryan Seacrest <laughs> Even if he's a fellow nominee, you're not going to then. Okay. He's hey, it's not really, it's just, an honor to be in this category. I just want one time a winner to be like, I was inspired by three of these performances. You, <laughs> yours was okay. Andrew Riseborough, very controversial yeah. nomination. I thought Daniel Deadweiler got screwed for tail. I don't want to go into it right now, but honestly, it's not fair what you did. You shouldn't have been allowed this nomination. But the Daniels are ones to watch. How about the fact, Ben, they made Swiss Army Man, which features a, a corpse and flatulence, and now these guys won an Oscar. You know, the, the Sundance DNA that is that is evident at the Oscars is just tremendous. Like, I love it. You see Miles Teller, part of Top Gun, that goes back to Whiplash. You see Michael B. Jordan up on that stage presenting because of the success of Creed. Well, it goes back to him having a star-turning performance in Fruitvale Station. Like, there are so many Sundance moments. Sundance is really the the G League of, of Hollywood in terms of developing this talent so they can go on and, and compete at the highest level. Um, yeah, I, I, I like you, Cody. I would take the approach uh yeah i grew up watching some of you and some of you uh probably should have hung it up when i was a kid anybody got a score in the nick game i heard julius randall's leading the league in first quarter threes at 18 points in the first can anybody got a score in the nick game here 
There's no question. Any award you win, you're ending with go Knicks. I mean, that that you could take that to the house. You um, would have laughed last night, Adnan. I'm sitting there watching. I've got the, the game on. I've got the awards on. And I'm like, yes! The family's looking over. They're like, you really care about editing that much? I'm like, no, it's a Josh Hart N1. Like, <laughs> Shout out to Villanova. Um, All Quiet, the Western Front did really great. It's good for foreign films. It's good to see. At one point, you started to say, does this going to have momentum? But it was kind of like a Mad Max thing. Like they're going to win some categories. They're not going to win the major categories, but obviously a very impressive war film. And that's very good news for Netflix. Um, I also thought, and this is a film that you loved and I liked a lot too. I had it in my honorable mentions for top 10. I don't know if you, I don't know if you did your top 10. You didn't release it on social this year if you did, but you told me over lunch how much you loved Babylon. I had it winning in the two categories. I thought it would win for production design, which if you didn't like the movie, that's fine, but the production design is incredible. And I thought Justin Hurwitz win for score. I love that jazzy score. It went over two. Tell us why you did love Babylon. I love Babylon because it takes us inside the industry of Hollywood from the jump, from the early days of cinema when they were making the transition from uh, silent films to the talkies uh, and to sound. And, and it all gave you just an appreciation for the technical advancements and achievements. Like you can go to the theater now and become so washed over by just, oh, okay, Avatar, special effects, Black Panther, wow, Wakanda looks real. But you go back and you look at how they incorporated sound and more, uh, you know, artistic styles of, of editing and acting and storytelling. Boy, what a wild, wild west time it was back in the Babylon days. And I just thought it was such, you know, I also think it's tremendous when you have set pieces and extras and you're using lighting and makeup and costumes and you're not using those CGI effects of those other movies I mentioned. And the movie feels equally epic. Like those party scenes, those scenes with Spike Jones shooting, trying to race the lights, like they feel iconic and you're making a movie about the making of Hollywood and icon, like why we all fell in love with cinema in the first place. I thought it was dope. I thought it was really cool. Nobody gave a shit. Like nobody cared about <laughs> Babylon at yeah. all. I thought Hurwitz would win again for score. What that'd be his third Oscar. Yeah, be his third. too young. He's under 40, I think, or 45. But yeah, you know, you mentioned Mad Max. I remember that was the year you and I were covering the Oscars and we were doing it with Sophia Carlson, who performed last night at the Oscars. What if Adnan, like we had to do what she also like, she came into our world hosting the red carpet, did a really good job a couple of years. What if we had to get out on that Oscar stage with Diane Warren and belt one out? You're dressed for it now. But my gosh, what a talent. Did we Were we just like totally like oblivious to the fact that at our production meetings, we're like sitting with one of the most talented women in the world? Dude, I couldn't believe it. People were texting me, that's your girl. I'm like, yeah, I go, me, Ben, Sophia Carson, Troy Gentile. We did the Academy Awards one year. Weeson was the next year. But yeah, I was like, I can't believe I know somebody who is performing the Oscars. She killed it. I mean, and as you said, Diane Warren, for those that don't know, like legendary composer. Like, I mean, uh, it, it was awesome to see Sophia there and she crushed it. And in answer, no, you and I would, I don't think realized what a big deal she was and how big a deal she continues to be. So I agree with you. She absolutely crushed it. Speaking of performances, though, I'm thrilled that Natu Natu won. I mean, nobody loves MLB Network more than Jeffrey Lyons, your father. Today, Harold Reynolds, who is the face of the network, called me and he goes, Hey, what'd you think of the Oscars? And I said, It was great. And he goes, How about that Natu Natu? Because that was unbelievable. I go, Yeah, because that was the performance of the night for me. Those guys crushed it. This is why the Oscars exist. This is why all these award shows exist. So guys like Harold Reynolds can be talking about films that you would never expect a guy like Harold Reynolds to be talking about. You know, we got to get Cinephile back to the Oscars next year. I know, Cody, you put up the Hail Mary a little late in the game. Yeah, a little late up. in the game. 
you know, I was focused on this Josh Hart trade. Knicks go nine and zero once they move to Josh Hart. Now ten and three since the Hart deal. So I had my priorities elsewhere. But it is a it is a a mission of mine to get cinephile back to the Oscars. Do you have a tux, Chris? I I'll have one. Oh, I'll have. I'm doing a weird thing where Adnan's only wearing a tux on the top. I'm only wearing the pants. <laughs> So, <laughs> kind of like Riz Ahmed, you know what I mean? Yeah. You which part of the tux you want to wear, you know? Right. Oh, love fact. the Riz Ahmed. I love the Riz Ahmed, Colorado. I'm going to bring that back to 70s style. Speaking of 70s style, John Travolta, normally in memoriam, is a little bit awkward, and you go, I don't know why, you know, Sean Penn is presenting it, but we can make the Travolta jokes and the wickedly funny Adelta Zima Demonzel. I'm all for that. But got choked up, and it was emotional when he said, hopelessly devoted to you. I believe that's the, the song from Greece, which he was mentioning to Olivia Newton-John. I thought that was really sweet. It was a nice moment. Uh, but how do you miss Paul Servino? Like, I, I, him and Anne Hesh, I, I don't get it. I know it's hard job, Ben, but someone in the room is going to go, it sounds morbid, but who are we missing? Can we get Paul Servino and Anne Hesh in there? How does that happen? I don't know how that happens. Maybe, Adnan, there's something from the families behind the scenes where they proactively say we don't want to be included in this moment, or I I, I don't know. But yeah, it, it is always a part of the show I like morbidly and oddly look forward to um, as a demarcation of time. And you think of all the legends lost and how their films will live forever. And, and yeah, I mean, John Travolta, obviously no stranger to loss in his own life. So it was an emotional moment last night for sure. Um, yeah, and, and and honestly, like, that's something you really appreciate and to ground the night, right? When everybody's all excited and winning and looking great and feeling good, like let's take a moment and be grateful that we're even here and have this privilege to do this. And that was the thing I took away too. It really feels like for the first time since the pandemic that now everybody's back in the theater, back outside at these events and appreciating that you don't get to be in those rooms every single year. And that's why, and Cody, I'm gonna I'm gonna rile up Adnan here. You ready? I'm gonna yeah, rile do up. it. No, Tom Cruise thankfully wasn't there last night. It was a big deal that your boy wasn't there last night. You know, because it is something that people should appreciate that privilege of being in that theater. So you have the opportunity to do it. And you say, "No, nah, I'm good. I'm gonna go try and find the tallest building to jump off of instead." Uh, you know, that kind of rubs people the wrong way there. And then, don't you think? A hundred percent. I think that like he should be there. Is Everybody he avoiding the, the jokes? He knows that there's just gonna be a lot of like you know the class. Classic jokes? Is that why? Like, what's he no, avoiding? Ben said apparently he was shooting. That's why he's doing whatever. Mr. Apostle oh, Ten. He's but, whatever, trying to kill himself with a motorcycle off the Burj Khalifa, whatever the hell he likes to do in his spare time. But I, I, you know, to Ben's point, Spielberg said to him at the luncheon, like, you saved Hollywood's ass. We're all back because of you. And even with my disdain and contempt for him, I will willingly admit, of course, Top Gun Maverick got people back in theaters. You know, that was enormous. Someone said to me, he goes, he saved movies. I go, well, he didn't save movies. He helped save movie theaters. I will completely concede that point. I wouldn't say save movies. But the fact he wasn't there back in the day, Ben, you'd go, oh, there's Jack Nicholson front row. Like, always the biggest stars were there. It was Missing, but Top Gun Maverick is now an Academy Award-winning film, and eh, find the best sound. I have no issue with that. But it was a little odd that he wasn't there. No Jim Cameron it. either. Is he mad yeah, that no he, the director? He was he was mad about the director thing, huh? That feels more like personal. That feels more <laughs> like, hey, I directed Avatar too. What's up? What are we doing here? You guys yeah. didn't give me the award the first Avatar. Now I got to go to the second one. Come on. So maybe that's a little personal. That front row felt a little light last night. Not it did. Lie. Yeah. No light. Agreed. Maybe again, the Knicks are in town. You know, they're playing well. I, I don't Josh think Hart that's right. I, I, I don't think that's I don't, I don't think in the front row with the crypto. Denzel's in the front row with the crypto, no? The Knicks avoiding the play-in now, looking like a five seed, going to face the Cavaliers first round. That's impacted the Oscars. Why got Anna uh, Darmus in the front row. You know, she's been in four movies. Mm. Right? The front row's from Meryl Streep. Like, everybody's at the Knicks game. I get it. Uh, that's a fair point. Bedlines of Bonjour Sports Talk. He does an awesome job. Go check out Amazon for all the great stuff there. Closing thoughts, Ben? Anything you want to say about the Oscars you liked, you didn't like, what you'd like to see next year? 
Tell me how else you get a film about time traveling and, you know, your imagination into the public zeitgeist without these award shows. They employ a lot of people, sadly, not the three of us this year, but hopefully <laughs> next year we'll be back on that Oscar stage. Ben Lines is the best. Thanks so much, brother. I can't thank you enough for getting me to the Oscars those two times, and we'll be back again. And I'm thrilled for your success with Amazon. Starting a new venture. Cody, you know what this is like. You leave oh. ESPN. It's easy when you got those four letters behind you. Now when you're starting Metal Arc. Ben's now doing that with Amazon. It's an incredible challenge, but I'm proud of you, man, and I appreciate you giving us some time. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, it's interesting, these moments that happen every year and folks like us who are kind of, you know, lucky enough to be able to touch them. You sort of check yourself. You're like, wow, remember I, I got to interview Kate Blanchett the night she won for Blue Jasmine. She's holding her Oscars and she gives me a hug. And, you know, last night I didn't get to cover the Oscars, but I did a live stream with Mario Chalmers and Caitlin <laughs> Wilson from Kansas, Choctaw wow. Jayhawks. So continuing to touch the culture there as we uh, as we continue on our journey of storytelling. March Madness, right around the corner. Mario Chalmers going to love it. Great job, Ben. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Ben Lyons, always crushing it. You know Ben is the best. There's a couple other Oscar thoughts I wanted to mention. Um, I was really hooked, because as I said to him, what's the one you wanted to see? And I mentioned that the shorts, 12 of the 15, that are available on streaming, and Ben really wanted to, or he was moved by that one that was won for, for best live-action short. The one that I really wanted to see, and of course, listeners of Cinephile know, is Stranger at the Gate. We interviewed the director, and that did not win. It was not favorite to win. It was, it was, the favorite was The Elephant Whispers, which won, which is available on Netflix, and I'll talk about it in a second. It's really good, but that was a bummer for me. I really want to see Stranger at the Gate win. Malala Yousafzai uh, is the producer. You saw Kimmel interview her at one point, so I thought, okay, maybe it's got a little bit of juice, her star power, so to speak, but no. Documentary feature, Thrilled for Navalny, which I was correct on that pick, uh, and I thought the speech was really good. I go, this guy's going to get political, but it wasn't wasn't too much. I mean, normally the Oscars, people get mad, they start rolling their eyes. Okay, yeah. They don't start talking about gun control, the war in Russia. That was the only time, which was accurate. He's like, this is a film about a guy who opposed Putin, who's currently in prison. His so wife came up and talked, very moving. Yeah, I thought that was really, really a nice moment. Um, Pinocchio, not surprising, but I, I did like the fact that he mentioned his parents. A lot of mentions of mom specifically, yes. and I love the way he said, he goes, my parents are no longer with us, but I'm still their son. I thought that was a really nice moment. Um, and I liked when Kimmel did that monologue, and he was going through each person off the gate, and he said Guillermo, and they get to Guillermo del Toro. He goes, no, no, not that Guillermo. And he went to the Guillermo from the Kimmel show. Yeah. Again, it's for his audience. Not everyone's going to get it, but I thought it was hilarious, that cutaway to Guillermo del Toro. Adapted screenplay wins women talking. I'm thrilled for Sarah Polly, Canadian uh, from Toronto. They mentioned that as you went up there. Again, Cody and I were not huge in the film. I, people have asked me, what's it about? I go, it's just women talking. I don't think it's going to get a huge audience, but I was really happy that Sarah Polly won an Academy Award in a category, by the way, which I was not crazy about the other nominees. Uh, we went through all the major award winners. In case you're curious, as far as the numbers, I went 60, uh, no, 
I went 17 of 23. Um, Those like I feel like the the two shorts screwed you, yes. and the ba- and you picking Babylon screwed you. Yeah, Babylon screwed me. I went, oh, you're right. Oh, and 0 for two production design score, as I just mentioned to Ben. And I also got I got banged on those shorts. Animated short film, the one that Ben loved, which was great. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Uh, that one, which I predicted, but I was wrong on live action short. I would thought it would be Le Pupil, which is a French film. Instead, it was an Irish goodbye. And I was wrong on the other short as well. Uh, the one that I mentioned earlier, Stranger at the Gate, I was yeah. wrong for as well. So I, one for three in the shorts. But that, to me, is the key. People say, well, how'd you do? I, 17 and 6. Okay, Samson went 18 and 5. But, but you got to get the big ones. Like, he missed on Best Actor. He went with Austin uh, Butler for yeah. Elvis, and I went correctly there. So I, I think that when you look at the votes, they should actually be voted as far as... You know, it should you, be weighted. Weight the they should be, they should be weighted, weighted, for sure. They should be um, Would love Deacons, but I'm not surprised he didn't win for Empire of Light. Would have been nice to see, but that was not surprising. Costume design, I knew Ruth Carter. By the way, huge ovation. Like, the fact Ruth Carter is a costume designer. She wins and she got a standing ovation. I said, okay, these people know she's a heavyweight in that category, and it was nice to see her get that kind of reception. Cody had said to me before he was going to put some money on Andrea Riseborough. That would have been the moment. I mean, you would have would have paid off your mortgage if she Oh, for four. I could just tell when they, like, showed Andrea Riseborough. I was like, they don't have her in a spot of, like, if she was, she'd be sitting somewhere else if she won. There's definitely something to that. Kihue Kwan, I swear to God, was in the second row. Like, he's going to win. He's right there. All, all the, everything, everyone, all at once, people were right at the front. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys are probably going to win, so let's make this easy for They you. had Angela Bassett really close, so I thought yeah. she was going to win. But that was, the, like, what, like, her, like, she didn't seem thrilled that no. she lost. I, I, I don't want to repeat myself for those who listen to the Levitard show, but I recognize different audiences you may not. So Chris brings this up, and he's right. Dan mentioned it to me. There's nothing I love more than, again, awkward and uncomfortable humor. Um, I remember at the Tony Awards when Billy Crystal, who I loved, I, Chris did not see Mr. Saturday Night on Broadway. He did see him performing and therefore mocked him. Hey, hey, hey. But I'm telling you, Mr. Saturday Night is awesome. When Billy Crystal did not win Best Actor, the guy who went for MJ, Billy Crystal did not smile. He did not clap. He looked pissed. I thought it was awesome. Like, I, I I think it's bad sportsmanship, to be clear. If my child did it, I'd be enraged. But as somebody who's just there for the entertainment, I love it. So when Angela Bassett did not win, you're right. Frozen face, didn't smile, didn't clap, but pissed. But I'm like, grud- that is very Begrudgingly stood up, too, because they did the thing yes. where it's like, we're going to all stand up for Jamie Lee Curtis. And right. you could tell that she was like, oh, everyone's, I can't, I can't have the shot of me being the only one not standing, <laughs> so I will stand. Begrudgingly. Yeah, begrudgingly is the perfect word for it. But it was, uh, I just laugh at moments like that because maybe, maybe she's right. I mean, I guess if I just looked at each individual performance, yeah, Wakanda Forever is probably a stronger performance. You know, she's regal and it's not like Jamie Lee Curtis is giving her best work. But hey, man, hot dog fingers are going to win sometimes and that will happen. So congratulations to all the winners. Overall, I thought it was a great night for the Academy. Let's do a couple new movies and I do want to get really into Million Dollar Baby here at Cody and call it a day. The Quiet Girl, rural Ireland, 1981, a quiet, neglected girl is sent away from her dysfunctional family to live with foster parents for the summer. She blossoms in their care, but in this house where there are meant to be no secrets, she discovers one. It's a beautiful film. First off, this will make me sound ignorant, but I've got to be honest. Cody, did you realize in Ireland they don't just speak English, there is actual Irish. This is why this is up for foreign film. I I started watching the movie and I go, I thought in Ireland they spoke English, but they actually speak Irish, which is why this is nominated for Best Foreign Film. The majority of the film is not in English. Am I stupid for not doing that? Guillermo put it on the poll. For once, I knew that. <laughs> Look at me. How about me? A little pat myself on the back here. I, like, I mean, that. I knew it in that, okay, obviously it's not for Best International Feature Film, but as I was watching this, well, maybe it's in Polish. Like, I didn't know. I'm like, no, there's Irish is a specific language. That's how I th- dumb I am. I thought the language didn't matter. It's just like, where was the movie made? Like, w- like... You know what I mean? That's what I, th- I thought it was more based off that. 
No, it's got to be like 60% of it has to be in a different language other than English. Okay. And then it's also where it's produced by. But that's the main thing is the actual language. That's why international feature film is, for years, was known as foreign film, obviously redubbed. But regardless, some of it's in English. Obviously, there's subtitles. That doesn't impact guys like me. Comb Barrier made the film. I thought it was a beautiful movie. It was really sweet. Um, and I think that it's one of those movies that kind of sneaks up on you. Like, I'm watching it. It's like, you know, Irish family, big family. She's kind of neglected. Okay, you're going to go live with these people for a while. What's the, really the story about? What's the plot? But it, really, it's about emotion, and it's about how it all unfolds, and she gets this kinship with this family, and it almost feels like foster parents. And it's got probably the best movie ending of any movie that came out last year. Like That was the big thing that walloped me. I love a movie, because so often it happens. You watch the film, yeah. the first two thirds are really good, and they don't stick the ending. They don't stick the landing. In this case, I was watching it. I'm like, oh, it's a good film. It's a sweet movie. It's been a little girl making a relationship. And then I go, the last five minutes... You're in tears. I said, this is a hell of a movie ending. It really wallops you. I thought it was, I don't want to ruin it. I want people to see it, but I thought it was really beautifully done. Three and a half Maple Leafs, a couple blurbs for you. Ty Burr, my man. The story is simple. It's a connection between an invisible girl and a woman who finally sees her that forms the backbone of this lovely handmade film. Michael O'Sullivan of Washington Post. In a world of noise and noisy jumbled films, this story of found family speaks loudest and saying nothing. That's a hell of a blur. Well written. This, by the way, Sun. just you talking about that film, see, is, is it's Million Dollar Baby. A lot of similar, like, you know, found oh, yeah, family, yeah. yes. like kind of foster. Neglected, like, finding a home. Yeah, I swear, I didn't even think of that connection. I just wanted to do Million Dollar Baby because it's the Oscars. But you're right. There's definitely a lot here. Uh, Martin Sy of AB Club. Without voiceover narration tying everything together, some scenes feel out of place, random or offer a little beyond aesthetics. Well, it's definitely not an observational drama, but I guess where Martin's getting that. I did want to mention a couple of the shorts, as I said, because they are readily available. So I want people to be able to see these. You know, the Oscars are over now. You say, who cares? Well, you should watch it, especially if you like elephants. If you're Ron McGill, you're going to be moved to tears by the elephant whisperers. It's available on Netflix. It's a documentary short. It's 40 minutes, and it's beautiful. Again, I was cheering for Stranger at the Gate. I really wanted to see that film. Um, again, we had the director as a personal story. Uh, but Alpha Whisper is really well done. It's about this Indian couple who literally look after elephants, and these are like elephants who are like neglected or abandoned or damaged, and like like a three-month-old elephant. I mean, there's nothing cuter, like playing with his ears, feeding him. You know, um, this is the, the one elephant could only be fed by the mom. He won't be fed by the dad. And and one of the – they saw, obviously um, – in subtitles, I believe it's in Hindi, but one of the characters says, like, elephants are, like, one of the most intelligent creatures alive. He's like, aside from talking, elephants are right there with us. Like, yeah. they know how to play, they know how to laugh, they know how to love, they, they know mourn. how to feel. They, they mourn. mourn. Yep. Yeah, like, it's, it's amazing, man. So uh, my sister-in-law loves elephants. If you're a big elephant fan, you're going to love The Elephant Whispers. It's a really sweet movie. Two animal movies, of course, nominated there. Chris and I have already talked about Haul Out and about walruses and just what strange animals they are. That film did not win. I also saw The Martha Mitchell Effect, which was also available on Netflix and nominated for Best Documentary Short. I believe that was also around 40 minutes. Didn't know much about this. I think for people who have seen the Julia Roberts movie or miniseries called Gaslit, I'm not familiar with it, but I believe she's playing Martha Mitchell in that. Um, Martha Mitchell, again, I didn't know nothing about this. Watergate, she had a really huge hand in it, and they really smartly mentioned it. Um, early on, there's a clip of Richard Nixon who's saying, without Martha Mitchell, there would be no Watergate, and she was the one that was really kind of profound in this. Yeah, it was a limited series on stars. Julia Roberts and Sean Penn focused on Martha Mitchell, whose life was ruined by scandal. So I don't know really what that entails. This was more about how she uncovered Watergate and her husband and being implicit in it and saying that 
Again, essentially, she's a whistleblower. I mean, if you have a whistleblower Hall of Fame, you're putting Martha Mitchell in there. Again, if you're politically inclined, if you uh, find that era of American politics interesting from the 1970s, Tricky Dick and all the rest of it, it's 40 minutes. It's available on Netflix. I'd give Elephant Whispers three and a half Maple Leafs. I'd give Martha Mitchell Effect three Maple Leafs. Documentary feature, we've done all those before. Again, I'm really happy about Navalny. Would have been nice for Fire of Love, but it's okay. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed at one point was the favorite. Did not win last night. Um... And I also just briefly wanted to mention some of the other shorts because some of those categories, again, Ben and I mentioned My Year of Dicks. I mean, I've got to tell you a little bit about it. i got to check least. out My Year of Dicks. Okay, so maybe we'll do that next week because I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to spoil it. It's 24 minutes I'm watching and it's it. on Hulu. I'll I tell promise. You right now, okay, I'll just tell you this. It's a 15-year-old who wants to lose her virginity and is exploring how to do so with a variety of different men. If, if I don't watch it, dick move by me. <laughs> Amen to that. And if you don't watch it, we'll do it next week. But I don't want to ruin it because there's one scene in particular where the father talks to his daughter about losing her virginity. And I'm sure you will not have the same type of conversation. It is not a conversation I'm looking forward to. But it is incredibly funny and strange. And and as you heard Ben say, he also enjoyed it as well. Um, We had talked about Night Ride before the film about the little person who goes on the train, picks up the trans person. Le Pupil, I also saw. That was also nominated for live-action short film. I was wrong there as far as I was able to win. It's about a bunch of French girls um, at a school for nuns, run by nuns, and just about their desires and how they're being impacted. It's available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I thought it was a good film. I, mean, I thought it was going to win because the stuff I had read was, was the favorite. Here's a really brief blurb on it, if you're curious. A story about pure and selfish desires, freedom and devotion, and the anarchy that is capable of flowering in the minds of girls within the confines of a strict religious boarding school at Christmas. Again, it's available at Disney+. Plus. It's translated as The Pupils, but it's called Le Pupil. 37 minutes. I'd give it two and a half Maple Leafs. I thought it was a sweet film. Uh, as I said, it was kind of an anarchy and these girls trying to get back at the, at the nuns. All right, that's the Oscars. I want to do a little bit here, A Million Dollar Baby. 2017, the New York Times released their best film so far of this century. The best was amazing, There Will Be Blood. Yes, which somehow my brother still doesn't like. But Million Dollar Baby was number three on that list. And I want to talk about this film because every few years I watch it. And when I tell people, they go, are you crazy? And I go, it's one of my top 20 favorite movies of all time. They said, no, I know. It's a great movie. But how could you rewatch something like that? It's so depressing. And I said, no, but movies like that, which are so profoundly well made, to me, it just moves me. I don't find it depressing. I find it inspiring because it can be so powerful. Now, yes. obviously, I'm saddened by it. But when I see the craft, that's, it makes me think of the Valvano line. He's like, if you can laugh and cry on the same day, then you've had a full day. That's like, how I feel about Million Dollar Baby. Like when you see the love that Clint Eastwood's character develops for Hillary Swank's character, like that, even though it's happening around a sad event, that, that makes you happy. I agree with you. Like, while it is a sad movie, it, it makes you feel like there was love there. Again, I, I can't imagine people who have not seen the film, but it just takes me back to when I first saw Million Dollar Baby. I saw it in the theater in Toronto. It was you know, mid-December, and there hadn't been a ton of buzz about it. You know, So often now, these movies, you've already heard so much about it. You've seen the trailer. You know, I just knew new Clint Eastwood movie. I didn't even hear like any Oscar buzz. It was just a Clint Eastwood movie. It's getting great reviews. I'm like, okay. I don't think I even watched the trailer. And it's got Hillary Swank in it, Morgan Freeman. I go, yeah, I'm in. I'll go check it out. And I saw I want to either opening night or very early on. And that feeling, I mean, that's like a top five feeling in a movie theater that ending because that it was 
the entire theater was just silenced. And it was like, you realize you had seen and witnessed this great artistic triumph. You were inexpressibly moved by it, and you were saddened by it, haunted by it. And the, and the score is so good. Like, Eastwood does his own music. So that piano score, as soon as the credits come up, directed by Clint Eastwood, I go, I'll never remember, never forget, sorry, being in that theater and what that emotion was like. It was amazing, if you could harness it. And here's the thing about Million Dollar Baby. If I explain it to somebody, real simple. You know, it's a determined woman working with a hardened boxing trainer to become a professional. That's what it's about, right? But here's what it's about. That movie lifts your heart and then it breaks it. It's about an underdog facing long odds. You know, she's the only, as Morgan Freeman says in the narration, she knew one thing. She was trash. You know, she's the woman there in the working as a waitress, getting up scraps of food. Oh, it's for my dog. And then she's going home and eating it. She's got nothing. Boxing's the one thing in life that gives her any sort of an outlet, gives her any sort of a passion. And she follows that one pursuit. And then ultimately that pursuit ends up crushing her. And it's so devastating because as he keeps telling her, you know, always protect yourself. And that moment, it's not necessarily whether she didn't protect herself because she got sucker punched or he didn't protect herself because he didn't get the stool enough quickly. But the point of the film is it's such an incredible bait and switch. You're watching it thinking, I've seen this movie before. It's just a female Rocky. It's the rise and fall of this box. And it's really well made. And again, because it's Eastwood, it's well directed. And Henry Bumps did the production designer. It's well edited. And again, he's got a great cast. I'm like, oh, so it's a really sweet, nice story. And then when that happens, like that moment where the accident happens, you go, oh my God. Like the film just completely shifts into a different level. And like that last 40 minutes, you're like, it, it's just so unexpected. And it's so powerful and so moving. Because you think the story's about one thing and ends up being about something else entirely. And why wasn't this other boxer put in jail for this sucker punch that paralyzes <laughs> this boxer? Like, think about yeah. this news story. Sucker punch paralyzes potential champion boxer. I don't know. I mean, that was... Man, I have a lot of questions. It's obviously moving. Like, her family coming in, trying to get her all, get all her money. And, and what's his name? What's his character's name? I always want to call him Clint Eastwood. Frankie Dunn. He, he protects her. The, the odd part, the, the, the thing that's a little weird about the end is, is that he's the one giving her the medicine that like, you know, spoiler alert. Can we spoil it? Can I? It's, it'll be twenty year anniversary next year, so we don't. Okay. We can at the, at the end, he essentially, you know, gives her the shot that kills her. Essentially, like what's what's the official yeah, term for that? Absolutely. Mercy and and it, like, he, but he's the one. That, like, I, I feel like it, a doctor would be the one giving that shot. It's just a weird part to me that I'm like, why is he the one without anybody around? Like, doesn't like don't we have to sign off on this stuff? Like, it seemed like a an odd way to like actually do it. Maybe at that time, euthanasia wasn't allowed. Maybe in that state, it wasn't allowed. So she knew she couldn't just ask the doctors. Like, I actually know a guy I worked with at the score last week died of an assisted suicide. So it's like, you know, now it's an era in which, you know, you as a patient or the next of kin can say, hey, I'd like to Oof. go from there. So maybe this was an era, right, pre-Kavorkin, that couldn't do it. So she knew she couldn't ask the doctor to be administered medicine to die. She's got to ask Frankie. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. I mean, when she bites her tongue... And she almost bled to death. You're like, this is obviously a woman who does not want to be. That's true. I was going to say, because like, there was almost a look in her eye when he, she saw how sad he was at the end that I thought she was going to be like, oh, you actually love me. Never mind. I want to live. Like, I thought there was going to be, but then it's just like, nope, done. That raises the controversy of the film. I mean, listen, the movie was a juggernaut. Once it came out, people were like, oh, my God, it's incredible. Like, right, right away, as Ebert's blurb said, this movie's a masterpiece. But that doesn't mean there wasn't going to be some backlash. And part of the backlash was from people about the whole concept of euthanasia. There was uh, quadriplegic excuse me, and paraplegic saying, what this movie is saying is that if you can't live an able-bodied life, you should just kill yourself. Like this, like no, like she could have gone back to life. She, as at one point, Eastwood says, "We're going to get you a wheelchair where you can, 
uh, you can move it through a straw and you can live a life. Like they're like, this movie is basically saying, no, if you can't box, if you can't use your limbs, right. you might as well just kill yourself. To that end, Eastwood responded and said, I'm not making a judgment on how people should live their lives. This is how this character chooses to live their life. This character right. is in so much pain that she no longer wants to live. I'm not telling you what to do with your life. The other part of it, too, was just the concept of euthanasia and mercy killings, which is still a hot topic for some saying that, you know, only a doctor should be allowed to kill somebody. Only God should be allowed to kill you if you're still alive. And, and Eastwood again said, again, I'm not going into that debate. If you don't believe in euthanasia or mercy killing, that's your, right. your discretion. But this character does. Right. That's what I'm telling about the story. Frankie believes in doing that. Oh, I just love when Morgan Freeman knocks out Anthony Mackie. Uh, yes. Uh. Mackie played a great villain. Like he, one of those character actors at the time, you know, obviously ended up doing bigger films, but he's so good at the way he's baiting Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel, noted Canadian from Montreal, huge Habs fan. You and I love him because of This Is The End. He's buddies with Rogan and all those guys. But like at this point, this was like 2004, like, oh, like Jay Baruchel is like playing this dim-witted, simple man. I'm going to be the champion of the world. I, like, I, Do you think I, when I, he gets that role, do you think he's like, oh, so I'm, this, is, this is the role I'm getting? Like he's thrilled. Are you kidding? He's in a Clint Eastwood movie yeah. at that point. It was very young in his career. I'm like, oh my, I think he was over the moon. He's like, wow, okay, I'm playing the simpleton, but I'm like, to me, he's treating it like a mice of men. I'm playing Lenny. I'm in an Eastwood film. I'm with Morgan Freeman. I get one of the great moments, you're right, when Scrap puts on the glove, get a job, punk, 109. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's a real kind of crowd-pleasing moment in a movie which is not a crowd-pleaser. That's definitely a fun scene, and he's really good in it. He was, How do you get this ass in the water He was great, honestly. You're right. Like, I just meant, like, visually, he looks like someone, like, like hey, you could play this character. I, like, I felt like I, that had to be like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the casting, he's like, okay, I'm not exactly going to be the matinee idol I was hoping to be, but, <laughs> hey, I'm going to be in an Academy Award-winning film. Yeah. I love the dialogue by Paul Haggis. It's adapted um, from a series of stories by FX O'Toole. I haven't read the stories upon which it's based, but there's some moments that you go, oh, it's so good, it's got to be ad-libbed, in particular the scene where Eastwood's talking to Morgan Freeman about giving him some money, and he's like, you know, you got holes in your socks, and he says, these are my sleeping socks, I like to have air in those socks, and someone goes, well, that must have been an ad-lib, no, it, that's how good Haggis' script was, Eastwood kept virtually every word for word from the script, because that's one of those you go, has to be an ad-lib, Morgan yeah. Freeman with those guys, no, oh, that's how well-written the script is, it's about, these are my sleeping socks, and if I give you some money, could you get some new socks, that money might go down the track like scrap himself is an interesting character and a lot of that goes back to the narration the narration is a incredibly well written and b incredibly well performed as i've said about morgan freeman he's got a voice that belongs in the smithsonian so from the first passages of the movie once you hear his voice of there's only one man i never wanted to fight and boom you see frankie dunn you go i'm in the movie like i'm, I'm already in it because that's how good morgan freeman's narration is and again the quality of that narration and the way he's talking about scrap and all the rest of it um why wouldn't he, why wouldn't have morgan freeman gone to vegas with them to like go to that fight like i get it all because like because when she finally gets the championship fight they're going to vegas and he's yeah. like i needed someone with me like like frankie dunn's like i need someone like with me to help be the ring person and yeah. and morgan's just like i can't go i'm not going i can't leave the gym this gym falls apart if i'm not here but it's like i and i get that ends up like he ends up getting mad at him because like he he says it could have not happened if he was there so it's but it's just like uh, I get it that that's part that that's that's a setup for that scene, but it's just like just go, man. You would like why would in any situ situation he would, he would go. But Scrap is a guy who feel like I think like he never leaves the gym. He literally lives in the gym, right? He's got a cot there. I think one he does feel like that level of like and I know guys like that. Like they're like no, I I, I got to work. I got I can't leave the shop. I'm the one running the shop. I can't leave for two days' notice. That's fine. And two, I think because of his own past, I think what happened with boxing. 
I think that he watches boxing, but he can't get too close yeah. to it. It's like getting too close to the sun. I don't think he wants to go to the heavyweight fight. It's like a football player who suffered a crippling injury. He may still watch the NFL, but I can't go back to the arena. I don't want to be there. Right. I, I can't be around. That's true. It's too close to him. Good movie, man. Really good. Yeah. Um, other aspects of it, Eastwood, just, his acting is amazing. You know, he won the Oscar for directing, but some critics said he should have won for acting. He never saw Eastwood like this. You've seen that gruff curmudgeon. As I said before, my dear friend Mike Kiss, his great Clint Eastwood impression, three times in this film he says, what? And I, every time he does it, I think of Mike. But his acting is so good. It I remember is. Owen Gleiberman's blurb was amazing. He goes, I never thought Clint Eastwood had this kind of role in him. I never thought he'd be in a Douglas Sirk melodrama. I mean, I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he's talking to the priest. Early on, he's you know busting his child. He's got this great relationship of toying with him and hey, explain the Holy Trinity to me, et cetera. But that scene near the end where he's like crying through tears, I, I never thought I'd see Clint Eastwood crying about this. And he says, you know, she's not asking for God's help. She's asking for mine. And he says, Frankie, I've been seeing you at mass every day for the last 23 years. The only kind that comes that much is the kind that can't forgive himself for something he's done. If you do this, you'll be so far gone. You'll be lost forever. A place that I can't reach you again. I mean, it is such yeah. a good scene, the way it's so well-written and well-delivered, and yet Frankie still has to take toll of the situation. Love the cinematography, particularly that shot when Scrap and Cleese were talking, and he knows what he's about to do. He says, you got a fighter I don't know about, basically saying you're about to do something I don't know about. And at the end, when Frankie walks out of that hallway, beautifully shot, and you see Morgan Freeman kind of step out of the shadows because he followed him to the hospital to see what happened. I mean, it's, 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 it's lyrical. Again, I mentioned the score, beautiful music. Eastwood always does his own music. And most of all, I mentioned the ending as far as the emotional part of it, but when he says to her, Makushla, which is the nickname he gives her, it's oh. Gaelic. I don't know what it means. It's something in Gaelic. But when he says to her, it means my darling. It means my blood. Oof. I mean, there's not a dry eye in the theater. Oh. He kisses her on the cheek. I said, what a... What a it's just a knockout, man. It's a movie it's that so absolutely good. knocks me out. And I love that last little bit of narration as well as he leaves the hospital and what Morgan Freeman is saying because, you know, the whole part of it is that Eastwood's writing letters to his daughter and every time those letters come back, returned. Who can imagine what he did to his daughter but she'll never speak to him again. And now Morgan Freeman is taking it upon himself to write his daughter. That is why this is a movie. And that last great, great closing line, you know, but somewhere in the, you know, I just wanted to let you know what kind of man your father really was. And you got that great outside shot of a blurry window. He's having some lemon meringue pie. He's like, I'm hoping you found some peace. I'm hoping you found what he was looking for. It's just a hell of a movie, yeah. man. I could talk about Million Dollar Baby all day It's great. Long. Some blurbs for you. Stanley Kaufman, The New Republic. The only differences between this new film and its many forebears are that the young hopeful is a woman and the finish is unforeseen. David Anson, as an actor, Eastwood has rarely taken on a character as complex as Frankie Dunn. And Richard Corliss of Time Magazine, like Eastwood, it's a relic that dazzles you with its footwork, daring, and class. Won the big ones, as I mentioned, as far as the Academy Awards were concerned. Made like $136 million on a $20 million budget. It was a huge hit. Million Dollar Baby. If you haven't seen it, I wanted to do it this time here in our Academy Award version of Cinephile. Thanks once again to Ben Lines. Always doing a fantastic job. I watched a bunch of old movies, so maybe you want to kind of get up to speed. You want me to let you know what we're going to be doing? So we're going to be doing Wag the Dog in the weeks ahead. I watched that movie again. Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro. I watched Mystic River again. 20th anniversary of that film. Speaking of Clint Eastwood, Sean Penn. Kevin Bacon, Lawrence Fishburne, and Tim Robbins in an Academy Award winning role. So those movies will be coming up. As far as new movies are concerned, I mentioned this to Cody before, it's a lot of sequels this month, so uh, maybe we'll do some Scream 6, maybe we'll do Shazam! Fury of the Gods. That's coming out this weekend. I hope you've all enjoyed Creed 3 and Cocaine Bear, and once again, thank you for the support of Cinephile. Thanks for appreciating us. We appreciate you. I'll see you at the movies.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.